The diamond I Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These shoes are a pair of small ladies' sandals. They have black leather straps in a crisscross on the toe and a little buckle for the ankle. They are very well worn and look like they've seen lots of good days in parks. They have a white sole and are black everywhere else. They're made by a brand called Yaya. These shoes belong to Zolst. This is her story. We'd spend evenings sitting and drinking tea and listening to my grandmother tell these epic tales. And, you know, she was like, we will eat from our garden. <laughs> so we would grow everything, everything from onions and beetroots and radishes. And we had a sort of a little orchard, you know, with apple trees. We'd spend hours and hours tending our rose garden and going to the bakery and making lots of food. Things like buroni bonjon, which is deep fried aubergine cooked in this really rich tomato sauce. And then you put yogurt and dried mint on top. Bologna, which is like a pancake, but inside it you have pumpkin or potato or leaves. And so that was happening on one side. On the other side, Kabul was bombed all the time and everything was mined and people were dying. You know, we had to run to the basement every time the rockets fell or you'd leave the house to go to school and on the way you'd hear an explosion and you'd have to come back. So it was this weird kind of mixture of dark and beauty. The night before they're just like we're leaving tomorrow morning I, I remember just bursting into tears because I was like I'm not going the whole night I was just kind of thinking about how I'm going to in the morning leave my granny We went to the north of Afghanistan, the city called Mazar Sharif, and then we crossed onto Uzbekistan. Most of the time, people let us stay with them. Either we paid them or they would just let us stay. And my dad did all kinds of things during this time to help us survive. Like he sold things in the market. I sold things in the market. Fake Barbies, shoes, T-shirts that had a sort of a Hawaii type of motif, all kinds of things. It's so funny, as a child, what you retain. So my most vivid memory of Uzbekistan was the crockery. And I remember being in this restaurant or something, and we were so hungry because we'd been on the road for such a long time. And my father ordered noodle soup. And they brought us in these, like, these beautiful bowls. They come in all these incredible colors, like really bright orange. And there was sort of pieces of fried lamb on top and all of this. And I just remember like how incredibly tasty that was. <laughs> so to this day, I get really excited about noodles. Because <laughs> it's just, that's what I remember about it. 
how warm that was. I can't remember what happened, but we decided to move west. And so we moved to another city and then another city. And my parents did this for four years from Uzbekistan all the way to Eastern Europe. And then we finally settled in Kiev in Ukraine for a year. And that's when the Taliban took over. My parents really then gave up any hope of going back. And when they took over, they went and took over a house in Afghanistan and kicked my granny and aunt out. They went to Delhi as refugees, and we lost touch with them. But I wrote her letters all the time because I needed to write to her. I would just write, and I would just tell her what was going on, but not send it. I spoke to her just before she died, and she was quite sick, and she was just... Um, she just kind of told me that she always prays for me and she always thinks about me. And then my uncle and aunt who were in Delhi, they went to Sweden as refugees and I saw them. And my uncle told me that the last thing that my grandmother asked for was for my mum and me. So she was asking whether we were there and whether she could say goodbye. And then she died. That was the last thing. I always sort of think about that. In Ukraine, I became a huge fan of Take That. <laughs> I didn't speak any English, but I really liked their music. So I was like, oh my God, we're going to the country where Take That is from. This was 1996, so I remember the landing very well because we landed and in Heathrow Airport, as we came out, there was a um, news agent, I think it must have been like a WH Smith or something, and the first thing I saw was a magazine that said, take that, broke up. <laughs> and so I was devastated. <laughs> so it was like the only reason I wanted to come to the UK was just kind of evaporated. There was nothing easy about being gross to asylum in the UK. It was a lengthy, difficult process. It took a really long time. And by the time they got their asylum, I think my parents had lost their confidence so much that they just didn't manage to get jobs. People feel that you know, people come to Europe because they really want to, and it's almost never the case. It's people come because they have to, they're trying to survive. I love being in Britain and I definitely feel very British and it's, it's my home now. But if you ask my parents whether they would change it so that they could stay in, a, in their own home with their own community, keep their own jobs, they would absolutely choose that, you know, and I know that 20 something years later, they would still choose that if they could stay in a place. They left because they were trying to save their children's lives.
The first five years of London was the hardest, partly because when we were traveling, there was a sense of purpose and mission, right? To either go back or to get somewhere safe, right? And that keeps you going. When you arrive to a new place and you're settling, you suddenly need to process everything that has happened. So you realize what you've lost. You feel all your grief. You feel the anger, the outrage, everything that was held at bay by this mission all comes crashing down. We saw a lot of really horrible things. You know, we experienced a lot of racism, a lot of violence, a lot of loss, and that had to be processed, you know. And I think it will be processed for the rest of our lives. It's not something that you just kind of leave behind. I think it forms part of who you are and you manage it. I was working in various different educational programs and both a combination of that and my own experience kind of led me to think about an organization that would really help people process their experiences. So I co-founded Refugee Trauma Initiative, which is all about helping refugees overcome difficult emotional experiences because you can provide people with food and shelter and all of that, but if you don't recognize their pain, their grief, their loss, and provide something to help them process that, people get stuck. People don't really know how to integrate or how to reconnect, how to regain their confidence and their trust. You know, if you've been through something like the Syrian war, how could you regain your faith and humanity? How could you regain the basic things that are necessary in order to function every single day? You know, to get up and to believe that your fellow human beings are good. This was always in the back of my head. And, and I thought, okay, how can we, you know, what could I do that would enable people regain that again? So. Refugee Trauma Initiative does that. We work with arts and movement therapy and to help people reconnect and regain trust and regain a sense of joy. In 2018, President Obama and his wife launched a fellowship where they we're looking to select people from around the world that are trying to solve some of the world's most pressing issues. And I think something like 20,000 people applied from 190 countries and they selected 20. And I was really, really lucky to be one of the 20 selected. The biggest gain for me is the community of the fellows. It sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's true. I think connection and community really uplifts people. It's the, in the end, whatever you're going through, that's what carries you through. Things can be bad, 
But there are also lots of people that are rooting for me and care for me and want to support me to overcome it. I think people can overcome really quite extreme stuff. And I think that was for me what did it in the end. Other things come and go, but if you have people, then it's there. Relationships carry you through. Zolsch's story was produced by Eloise Stevens. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.